Welcome to the Cleansing Word Podcast with Pastor John of Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa. Join us as we go through the Bible as we encourage your walk with Jesus Christ. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Chapel, Lake Villa, visit us at cclv.org and please share and subscribe to this podcast. Now let's hear a message from God's Word. All right, we are continuing our journey through the chronological Gospels, trying to mesh the Gospels together. And it has us in the Synoptic Gospels today, two of them, in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. And I'm going to ping pong back and forth between the two. We're going to start in Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28, looking at a mother's great faith. We're going to go over to Mark 7, verses 31 through 37, uh, reading about Jesus healing many. And then Matthew 15, 32 through 39, the feeding of the 4,000. All of these are recorded in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark. And so we could have stayed in one Gospel, but I chose to do it this way. Luke didn't record these events. John didn't record these events, but Matthew and Mark did. And today we're going to see a mother who came to worship Jesus. She fell at his feet, pleading with him to heal her daughter. And we'll also see a multitude who came to Jesus in an area known as the Decapolis. And I had to go to Israel to really get a good understanding of this area where largely it was at the time of Christ, all Gentiles, not all, I would say, there were no doubt some Jews living in that area, but it was an area given over to the Gentiles. And yet Jesus did a work in that area so much so that they saw Jesus heal a man who was both blind and mute. And the people marveled and would say, he has done all things well. And then we'll see the feeding of the 4,000. We're very familiar with the feeding of the 5,000. But Mark and Matthew tell us of the feeding of the 4,000. And Jesus will even come back and refer to both the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000 to his disciples uh, shortly following these miraculous events and challenge his disciples that they didn't rightly understand what he was doing at that time. But one of the lessons I want us to learn from the feeding of the 4,000, and this is the same with the feeding of the 5,000, that Jesus will often take the natural to do supernatural things. So today, we, I titled the message, He Does All Things Well. We're going to see a mother's great faith in Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Jesus heals many in Mark 7, 31 through 37. And the feeding of the 4,000, Matthew 15, 32. 2 through 39. We begin in Matthew 15, verse 21 through 39, a mother's great faith. And Matthew takes us to the region of Tyre and Sidon. So technically, Jesus is outside the boundaries of Israel when this event takes place. So he's over on the shoreline of the Mediterranean Sea, north of Israel, today in the area of Syria today. And there was a woman from Canaan that begged Jesus to have mercy on her demon-possessed daughter. 
Demon possession is something that we often read about in the scripture, especially in the New Testament. When I looked up the Greek word for demon today, um, nothing was found in the Old Testament. Uh, I was looking in for demon. I just put demon in and uh, it had nothing in the Old Testament. It had certain terms and words in the New Testament. I found that interesting, but I believe personally that as the people prepared for the coming of Jesus Christ, Satan and his forces were also at work. There was a heightened awareness of the coming of the Messiah in the days of Jesus, but also I believe there was a heightened uh, spiritual warfare going on at that same time. And so demons, something that um, we read about in the scripture quite a bit in the gospels of Jesus casting out demons. We're going to read about that, begin with it, here in our text, and I wanted to say something about it today. It seems like in our world we have a, a focus on demonic realms. I can't watch uh, Lily and I get so angry. You know, we try to find clean TV to watch, and one of those safe places used to be the cooking channel, and it's fine if you're just, for the most part, watching some of the cooking competitions or shows that they have. Uh, but it's hard to get past the commercials because the other networks that are trying to drive people to their channel advertise on what we deemed was a safe channel. And now we're like seeing these things we don't want to see even in the commercials that they're advertising. A lot of that may be demonic in nature. A lot of the movies, the TV shows, the zombies, all of this stuff coming in. And yet in the Bible, it's understood that the demonic realm and the Bible teaches that when Satan fell from heaven, that a third of the angels went with him. And so these demonic spirits, fallen angels that did not keep their proper domain, some have been locked away uh, for judgment. Others are loose on this earth and there is opportunity for uh possession of those who do not believe in Jesus Christ. I'll explain that in a moment. But just last week, this was a headline that took place just last week. And it's dangerous for books, TV shows, movies to dabble in the occults, even board games. So this is a headline from last week. 28 girls hospitalized with anxiety, other symptoms in Colombia after allegedly playing with a Ouija board. So Ouija board, uh, once again in the headlines, this is part of the article, with outlets reporting 28 school-aged girls in Columbia were hospitalized after reportedly playing with the Oracle board at their school. The incident reportedly unfolded among the students with the girls experiencing anxiety attacks, fainting, and other related issues after engaging with the board. It's unclear if there's any truth to the Ouija I used to say Ouija, but it's an A at the end. Ouija board claims, though the board game, which is believed to be a conduit to the demonic realm, has inspired no shortage of controversy since it was first introduced before the 20th century. So some will say that the girl's anxiety is just related to something other than the playing with that board game. But it's a good reminder that it's danger. It's a danger if we mess with the occult. And that's something that I learned years ago. And it had to do with the Ouija board that 
Uh, you don't want to give access to Satan in any way. You don't want to open up access to Satan. Fallen angels are the enemy of God, and they are defeated enemies. And yet Christ has come that he had disarmed, according to Scripture, he has disarmed the powers, the authorities. He'd made them a public spectacle there on the cross, according to Colossians 2.15. And as we submit to Christ, then we are to resist the devil. But Satan may be able to oppress those who believe in Jesus, but I don't believe that he can possess them. But I think it was it would be foolish for us to even mess around to dabble in the occult. Uh, that was the headlines from just school age girl, school age girls. Get this, another school allowing things to take place as harming children. It was another country, but. Uh, they open their hearts to something, and we don't know how in this first account that we're looking at here in Matthew 15, how this girl became demon-possessed, but the Bible tells us in Matthew 15:21 through 26, as Jesus went out from there, departed, went to the region of Tyre and Sidon, so technically outside of Israel, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severe, severely demon-possessed. I don't care if you're slightly demon-possessed. It's a bad thing. But she was severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. His disciples came and urged him, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Lord, she's bothering us. She's being a pest. Can you just send her away? Have you ever noticed sometimes that the disciples, the 12 that followed Jesus, sometimes they really didn't seem to have a lot of compassion for the work of ministry that the Lord was calling them to do here in the early days. But Jesus answered and said, I was not sent, verse 24, except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him and said, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, it's not good to take the children's bread and to throw it to the little dogs. Mark tells us in Mark 7:14, when Jesus arrived into this region that he entered a house and no one knew it, but he could not be hidden. So we have been, I've been saying this over the last several weeks that Jesus has now entered into his final year of ministry, the third year of ministry. It's known as the year of opposition. It shouldn't seem odd to us that Jesus wanted to get away from the multitudes. It shouldn't seem odd to us that Jesus wanted to spend time, and he will at times spend time with his 12 to prepare them for the work of ministry that they would have to conduct after his departure, after he ascended into heaven. So that shouldn't be odd to us that Jesus would want to. He's tried it at the feeding of the 5,000. The disciples came back from doing a short-term missionary trip, and Jesus said, let's go, let's get away for a while. And yet the multitudes followed. So it shouldn't seem odd to us that Jesus would want to get away and spend some time with his disciples, but he could not be hidden. So in this passage, Jesus talked about the children. It's not good to take the children's bread to throw it to the little dog. So 
Jesus, talking about the children's bread, talking about the Jewish people, and the word that I have for the Jewish people, the ministry that I have to the Jewish people, and to give it to the little dogs representing the Gentiles. Jesus, first ignoring the woman's plea, but the more he ignored her, the more she cried out. She even came and fell down at his feet and worshipped, crying out, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. And that son of David, a messianic title, referring to the Messiah of Israel, even though she was not Israeli, she worshipped and pleaded for Jesus to help and to heal her daughter. The Old Testament tells us in Isaiah 30, verse 18, Therefore the Lord will wait, that he may be gracious to you. Therefore he will be exalted, that he may have mercy on you. For the Lord is a God of justice, and blessed are all those who wait for him. In the beginning of Isaiah 30:18, it says, Therefore the Lord will wait. Sometimes the Lord waits to answer our prayers. And then it's necessary for us to wait upon the Lord, knowing that the Lord in due time will be exalted, that the Lord will show his grace and his mercy upon us. So we continue in verses 27 and 28 with the woman saying, so Jesus said it's not good to take the bread from the children and to give it to the little puppies. And she responds, Yes, Lord, but even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And then Jesus said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. Your daughter and her daughter was healed from that very hour. It may appear to us that Jesus was attempting to push away this woman. He didn't respond to her initial pleas. Uh, his disciples began to complain about the woman as she continued to uh, beg and to chase after Jesus. She even worshipped at his feet. And it may seem that Jesus was trying to push her away, but I believe that he was actually trying to draw out her faith. It caused her to recognize that even the crumbs of the master's table was sufficient to meet her daughter's need. She responded, yes, Lord. She understood that Jesus' primary mission was to the people of Israel. But calling him Lord is also, according to the word of God, a work of the Holy Spirit. As in 1 Corinthians 12, 3 tells us that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And calling her Jesus, calling Jesus Lord was more than a title of respect, but a sign that her faith, I believe that her faith was growing. She did not want to take Jesus away from his primary focus, his primary mission to the children of Israel. But she said, Lord, it would be sufficient. Just a few crumbs. Just brush a few crumbs my way. A few table scraps will do for me. And she left the presence of Jesus trusting that her daughter was already made well. See, the daughter wasn't even in the picture. The daughter was somewhere else, maybe at home. She had to leave the presence of Jesus trusting that the daughter had already been touched, was made whole by the healing work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus commended her for her great faith. 
Do you know that he only did this once before in the Gospels? And he never did it connected to a Jewish believer. Only twice did he commend two individuals for their great faith, and they were both Gentiles. One, this Canaanite woman, and the other, the centurion soldier that we learned about in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 8, who had a servant that was severely ill and would not allow Jesus to even come under the roof of his house, but told Jesus, just speak the word, and I know that my servant will be healed. And Jesus marveled at the Assyrian in Matthew 8:10 and said, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. Now, Jesus did marvel at the Jews, but not because of their great faith. When Jesus marveled concerning the Jews, the Bible tells us he marveled because of their unbelief. It's like, I can't even believe you guys don't understand. You've been given the very word of God and you don't understand. He marveled at their unbelief. And the only time that he marveled at great faith was this Canaanite woman and the centurion soldier. Jesus at times will be silent when we pray to him. Or sometimes he'll immediately respond and answer our prayers. In either case, I believe that the Lord works in such a way that he desires to grow us in our faith so that when he does answer, we'll be able to say, you do all things well. So in contrast, the Canaanite woman, as believers in Jesus Christ, we should not be seeking for the crumbs. We shouldn't be praying, Lord, just a few crumbs from your table. We are the children as believers in Jesus Christ. We should be asking for the bread of the table. In fact, Revelation 19.9 says, Blessed are those who call, are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And as believers, we are permitted to eat the bread, not the crumbs of our master's table. So we go over to Mark 7, verses 30, 31 through 37. We find Jesus now traveling from, in Israel, he would be traveling across, kind of, uh, I shut my eyes so I can envision this whole thing. So he's up in Tyre and Sidon. He's north of Israel, technically, on the Mediterranean Sea. Now he's going to go um, south east across the Jordan River, really on the other side of the Sea of the Galilee, to the area of the Decapolis. Decapolis means 10. And so there on the east side of the Sea of Galilee were 10 uh, initially built, this area built up by Alexander the Great, uh, somewhat destroyed and then rebuilt by the Romans. But there were 10 cities that were set aside for the Gentiles, the area of the Decapolis of the Gentiles. It was even called that in one place of Scripture. In verse 31, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of the Decapolis to, to the Sea of Galilee. So he's in this area east of the Sea of Galilee, an area that was first populated. I mean, the Jews were there at one point, but then 
came Babylon, then came the Medes and the Persians, then came the Greeks, then came the Romans. And this area ultimately was built up for foreigners who lived in that area, 10 Roman cities at this time. And it wasn't until we were there in Israel that we stepped into the area of the ruins of Bashan, or Bashan. Uh, I say Shane, but it's probably Sean. But uh, it was a full-on Roman um, city that was divided in four sectors. It had an amphitheater that could seat up to 25,000 people. Uh, it was destroyed after the time of Christ. It was destroyed by an earthquake. And so great was the destruction that everybody abandoned that area. And over time, it just was covered up with dirt and sand. And they didn't even know it was there until somebody decided to build on that location and began to dig. And they began to dig up stuff. And they ended up digging up this whole Roman colony, this city. It had a temple, Roman bathhouse, amphitheater. And they believe that after the earthquake that the people left the area because they even found um, coin bags, like people's homes. They didn't even go. People didn't go to loot the area after its destruction. And they found a bones of a um, skeleton having his golden, his bag, his leather bag with golden coins. I'm sure the leather was gone, but the coins were still there that they kind of theorized because the wealth was still in the city that it was just abandoned. But imagine that at the time of Christ, Gentiles living in that area, one of the cities of the 10 had an amphitheater that could seat up to 25,000 people. And that's quite a bit. They believe that in this region, 100,000 or more lived in this region. Here, Jesus is ministering there in the area of the Decapolis. In 32 through 35, they brought to him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. Later on, they'll just say that he was mute. They begged Jesus to put his hands on him. And Jesus took him aside from the multitude. He put his fingers in his ears. He spat and touched his tongue. And then he looked up to heaven and he sighed and said, Ephatha, I sometimes, that's not even a Greek word, so it's Aramaic. So that's another language that I don't speak that I can't pronounce the words properly. Anyways, I I have a hard time with English. It's tough when I go outside of the English language. The word means be opened. So what I want us to first notice is that Jesus did not have a set format. The people came and said, lay your hands on him. But Jesus didn't always heal the same for every individual. Let's just think about those who he healed who were blind. Matthew 9, 27, Matthew 20, 37. A blind man came to Jesus and Jesus touched his eyes and he could see. And so two different occasions and Jesus did touch the eyes and that person would be able to see. Two different occasions, two different people. In another, a blind man, Jesus spat on his eyes. We think that's gross. Jesus spat on his eyes, put his hands on him in Mark 8, 23, and he could see. Bartimaeus, who was blind, came to Jesus and Jesus... um, 
In Mark 10, 52, said, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And so he just spoke a word. He said, go. And to a man who was born blind in John 9, 6 and 7, Jesus spat on the ground. He made clay with his saliva. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. So he made this clay. Uh, what do they call that when you get a facial and put clay on your face? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know, but yeah, he covered his eyes with the clay. He told him to go to the pool of Salom, Salome. It, it's a pool that means to be sent. So he sent him to go wash at this certain pool, and he came back seeing. We are each a unique creation of God. Jesus ministers to each one of us uniquely, just as he did with the healing of uh, several different blind people mentioned in Scripture. He uniquely ministers to each of us that he might grow us in our faith, strengthen us in our faith. To this man that we're looking at in Mark 7, he put his, Jesus put the, his fingers in the man's ear. He spat. We do not know where. It doesn't say. He touched his tongue. Jesus looked up to heaven to let the people know the source of the healing power, Jesus sighed, a Greek word that means to murmur or to pray inaudibly. And then he spoke the Aramaic words, saying be open, or it's words that mean to be completely open. And Mark tells us in verse 35, immediately his ears were open and the impediment of his tongue was loose and he spoke plainly. And Mark used that word. He loved to use the word immediately. 36 times in his gospel, he used the word immediately, perhaps wanting us to know that at times Jesus, the work that he does in our lives is immediate. I believe that if you come to faith in Jesus Christ, that faith is immediate. You are saved the moment you truly come to believe and receive Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us if anyone comes to Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So the people of that area, verses 36 and 37, Jesus commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf and the, to hear and the mute to speak. Jesus often, in the Old, New Testament here, he often tried to suppress people sharing about the work that he was doing. Sometimes they said that, and this is prior to this, that the multitudes were crowding around them so much that there were times when Jesus and his disciples didn't even have a time to eat. It was so busy. But it's interesting that today, Jesus does not try to suppress his followers to keep it quiet. I know I did a work in your life, but don't tell anybody. Just don't let nobody know. That's what he was trying to do in this time. And the more he tried to suppress them, the more that they proclaimed it widely. 
They wanted people to know that Jesus does all things well. Today, we have been commissioned to go and tell. And we should, too, also be willing to go and say that Jesus does all things well. Now, in our society today, they are trying to suppress us from speaking about Jesus. You can talk about anything else. Don't mention the name of Jesus. And many people are being quieted, unwilling to proclaim, worried about what other people might say. It could be that you're worried about what damage you might, you might be uh, tagged by the social media companies. They may uh, shadow ban you that nobody sees your posts. So? We need to proclaim. We need to let other people know that Jesus does all things well. We need to proclaim Jesus to all the nations to let them know the work that he's done in our lives, that he does all things well. In Romans 8, 28, it tells us that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. All things. In Matthew's account, Matthew closes by the people saying, get this, I, I explained that the area of the Decapolis was largely a Gentile population. Matthew kind of confirms this. In Matthew 15, 31, it tells us when they saw this miracle, they glorified the God of Israel. The God of Israel was not their God, but they glorified Yahweh because of the work that Jesus was doing. For three days, Jesus taught and healed in this very remote place to a very great multitude. And although many miracles were done by Jesus, he had even a greater miracle in store for this people, a people who were willing to testify that Jesus does all things well. Are we willing to testify in that, of that truth to the people of our day and age? So what was that greater miracle? The feeding of the 4,000. Our last passage is found in Matthew 15, in the feeding of the 4,000, verses 32 through and 33. It says, Now Jesus called his disciples and said, I have compassion on the multitude because they have now continued with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, I don't believe that they were fasting for three days. I believe that they, over the course of three days, ran out of food. So Jesus just knew the condition of the people at this time, that they had ran out of food, they have nothing to eat, and Jesus then said to his disciples, again picking up in 32, I do not want to send them away hungry lest they fade on the way. So he had concern for their physical well-being now. He had been ministering three days for the spiritual well-being of the people. Now he's concerned for the physical. And his disciples, you got to remember, these are the same 12 guys who saw Jesus break seven loaves and three fish and feed 5,000 people. The same guys who saw Jesus feed 5,000. The same guys who picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. And their response was not, are you going to do it again, Lord? No, their response 
Where can we get enough bread in the wilderness to fill such a multitude like this? What are we going to do? Their response was, Lord, you got a problem. And they were looking at the physical instead of focusing on the spiritual. Jesus desired not to send them away hungry. He wanted to fill their bellies. Jesus knew the condition of the people. He knew their condition spiritually. He knew their condition physically. And he wanted to bless them on both accounts. He had blessed them already spiritually on so many accounts. Three days of teaching and touching and healing the people. Now he wanted to send them away with just a, a celebration meal. And Hebrews 4.15 reminds us, We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And even though the 12 had been with Jesus, even participated with Jesus in the feeding of the 5,000, they could not look beyond their natural resources, their natural ability. They said, where in the world could we buy bread to feed this multitude? And I fear we've often been guilty at looking at the natural resources, our human ability without first considering the supernatural work of Christ. 34 through 36 of Matthew 15, it says, Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? They said seven and a few fish. And the feeding of the 5,000 was five loaves. Here it's seven loaves. I think I mixed that up earlier. So he commanded the multitude to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves, the fish. He gave thanks. He broke them. He gave it to his disciples. The disciples gave to the multitude. So first, Jesus took the resources that they had. At that time, it was seven loaves and a few fish. He took the natural that he might do the work of supernatural. Psalm 107.9 tells us that he satisfies the longing soul. He fills the hungry with goodness. So Jesus took the natural. He took what they had the resources that they had that he might do great works through them. Second, we learned that there was order once again, as with the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000, the people sat down. There was order in the crowd. Jesus took the bread and the fish. He broke it. He gave thanks. He distributed it to his disciples. They gave it to the people. We see that same thing with the feeding of the 5,000. And there's a lesson for us to be learned here. Actually, three that I wrote down. First, that Jesus is able to use our meager resources and to do great things. He's able to use the natural to do the supernatural. Second, that things should be done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians 14.40. And this is much behind of what we do at Calvary Chapel of Lake Villa. But third... There is beauty in the order of ministry when we first receive from Jesus and then give it to others. In fact, I would say that we can't effectively do ministry unless we are first ministered to by Jesus. We can't rightly minister to others unless we have first received from the Lord. 
And then 37 through 39, all were ate and were filled. They took up seven large baskets full of fragments that were left. Those who ate were 4,000 men besides the women and children. And he sent them away. The great multitude got into the boat and came to the area of Magdala. So Mark and Matthew both mentioned that there were 4,000 men. Matthew tells us that there were also women and children. So this number of the feeding of the 4,000, if there was one woman for every man in that crowd, do the math. You guys know that, right? 4,000 times two, that's an easy one, 8,000. What if they each had a child? Well, it gets us to 12. What if they had two? gets us to 16,000. That this was a multitude, a great multitude, You know, I'm glad that Jesus desires to meet both our physical and spiritual needs. So often we seek Jesus only for the physical. Lord, what are we going to eat? Lord, what are we going to do? Lord, how are we going to get past this thing? Whatever's going on in our lives. It's largely often about the physical, and that's not necessarily wrong. But I think we need to also seek the greater spiritual need that the Lord can meet for us as individuals. Let's take a lesson from this passage as we, they stayed with the Lord for three days, even though it meant that they had exhausted their food supply. The word of God tells us in Matthew six thirty three: seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you. Everyone then had eaten. They were filled. The disciples collected seven large baskets of leftovers. And what a beautiful method of ministry when we first receive from Jesus. First, I would say, when we first give to Jesus what little we have and then receive it back from him that we might minister it to others. He multiplies that which we give to him in faith, that we might multiply and give it to others. 1 Corinthians 11.23, Paul's talking about communion when he said these words, but it's a good principle of ministry. For I receive from the Lord that which I also deliver to you. We can't rightly do ministry unless we first receive from Jesus Christ. And only Jesus is able to truly satisfy our spiritual longings. So the woman of great faith in Matthew 15, 21 through 28, we learned of this woman who came and fell at the feet of Jesus. All she asked for was the crumbs that fell from the master's table. But as believers, we're permitted to eat at the table. We're permitted to eat the bread, not the crumbs of the master's table. So what more might he do for those who come and fall down before his feet and worship? 